Welcome to the Reimagining Work podcast, the first episode of 2016 and the 31st episode in the whole series, uh, which I find pretty impressive. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what I think. So I'm Roger Nord. With me is my trusty sidekick, <laughs> John Wenger, and um, together we uh, we like to bring you. Uh, Food for thought, mainly. I think more than anything else, really. Uh, yeah. Of course, we try to uh, hand over or, or hand out some uh, solutions or a guide, but mo- 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 mostly or mainly, it's uh, food for thought. Stuff to think about as an individual or as a corporation. Well, a corporation can think, but you know, if you're in that particular setting, and. Um, um, so that's what we what we like to do today. I uh, suggest uh, we've been talking about it a little bit before. Um, we talk about the workplace, the physical workplace, mm. and uh, because we've come to the conclusion that the physical workplace, as with a lot of other things in the workplace, have a tremendous effect on the motivation of people. Um, I, I would add the physical workplace has a tremendous effect on on people, but people's involvement in the design of the physical workplace, I think, has as big an impact on them as well. So you, this, I'll, I'll tell a story that I probably have told before, but it, it's, it, it, I think it's really illustrative of, of the point. The, the, the um, multinational company that um, asked for or setting up a new office in London, I believe it was, and they they asked all of the staff who worked there, everybody, um, cleaners, uh, the the tea boy, the tea lady, the the office staff, the managers, to be involved in how the space should be used. It gave it basically given a blank slate. How would you like to have this place designed? Everything was uh, was open for input. Uh, where where desks should be? Who should sit next to who? Uh, the use of shared space, the use of break spaces, the use of storage spaces, and the office was designed accordingly. There was obviously a lot of input from architects saying that's not possible and this is the best way of doing this, but they were heavily consulted on the design of the space. And subsequent to that, they noticed that productivity, if that, if you want to use that crude measure, uh, was markedly higher than in many of the other offices around the world of this company. So what head office in the States, I think it was an American company in New York, said, they've found the holy grail. I want all of the offices around the world to be designed just the way that they've designed it. Productivity didn't increase. They missed the point. The point was, not only did the physical space impact on people's happiness and satisfaction and you know, motivation and productivity, but the fact that they were involved in the design of it in, impacted on it just as much. So it wasn't just that the physical space alone. And I think this is part of the reimagining that I kind of do when I'm daydreaming of work is that it is got to be for the people that are there doing the work. That's the point that I wanted to kind of underline about it's not just the physical space. Well, we'll take that with us when we go further into the conversation, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I ask you to move a little bit to the middle and stay there? Thank you. So we, we move on. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's something that in general can be said 
for uh, the workplace where uh, the involvement of employees into specifically any decision that has a direct impact on them. Yeah. Right? So anything that has a direct impact on the way they work, uh, how they communicate, uh, how they deal with their processes or, or with their uh, reviewing, you know, their performance reviews because apparently we need to have them. Um, no. No, we don't, but we've another talked about con- Another that. conversation. Well, we talked about that earlier. So <laughs> yeah. We talked about it last year. Yeah. Uh, but but that's true. I mean, there's I mean there's there's an inherent need to measure, right? There's an inherent need to 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 keep track of everything to make sure that targets are met and goals are achieved and those kind of things. And and uh, whichever way you do it doesn't really matter. But um, consulting with your employees mm. who on whom it has a direct impact just makes a lot of sense yeah and uh, I think for the workspace that I think that part of the story that that you've told uh, is that it the way they did it at that particular office is something where they um, where corporate was very interested in it being a success mm. and thusly they copied that particular setting into another office i'm not sure if that's the same conversation yeah the same it story is. it is i think but, I, I, but i've is. heard that before yeah, yeah and then it didn't work because yeah, because they missed they missed the thing that was the innovation the innovation wasn't the office design the innovation was the, was the way the office design unfolded exactly. and emerged exactly that was the innovation exactly i've um uh visited uh, microsoft in the netherlands and they have a similar uh, setup. I don't think they really consulted uh, with um, uh, with employees a lot on on it. Uh, but they did have a, a few creative thinkers who worked out the different um, um, ways people wanted to work. So uh, can you say a bit? Can you say a bit more about that? Does that mean like in terms of hours worked or? Well, the, first of all, they have a very flexible uh, uh, work. Uh, what do you policy. call it? Policy. Right. Policy. So they can right. work at home if they want. Okay. Um, they can. They you can work from anywhere. So you're connected through your laptop and you can work from anywhere. Uh, you're, you know, supposed to be in the office once in a while, but obviously it's Microsoft, so so they have all the tools in order to facilitate that and they encourage that and um, the stories that I hear there's people are re- even abroad for a longer period of time still working for Microsoft in the Netherlands which is you know very very nice very good but the office is also uh, it's 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 kind of um, it's not free uh, but they have these zones Right, so they have these long tables where you can just work with, and there's other people there, and you can work there. But if you need some privacy, you can have that too. There are no offices, uh, but if you want some privacy, you can go into a sort of phone booth, kind of like, you know, where you can do uh, uh, a Skype uh, conversation with somebody if you need a little bit more privacy or whatever. 
Yeah, or you need solo time to think or whatever. Yeah, yeah so, so they, mixed use of space. Yeah. yeah, so and they got these where you can isolate yourself a little bit more or where there's a little bit more walls or whatever. So there's, you know, so it's, it's you can kind of find your place where you're most comfortable if you want to work there. And um, and it works. A friend of mine works there, and I I, I only hear good things about it, and and that's very positive mm-hmm. about it. And they are mm-hmm. actually um, uh, the first within the Microsoft family that actually did that. So they're like how to call it, like an anchor office or something like that. So they're okay. they're, they're like an example of how things um, need to be done or can be done or whatever. Yeah. So, um, so it it does happen, right? So the the company that you were talking about, uh, I've I've know, I know about uh, Microsoft it being um, uh, successful with it, and um, so so there are companies where this is happening and where it's actually motivating people into, uh, you know, being more productive. Hmm. Uh, I've also heard stories of the opposite and um, where decisions are being made that has an extremely direct influence on the people Mm. and with no um, input from the employees at all. Mm. Um, And the idea is being brought as being, I don't know, solutions to a problem but yeah yeah well that's i mean that's yeah it is the, it under, is. the underlying thoughts right so the underlying ideas is that we have a problem and we need to fix it but instead of talking to the people who actually have to deal with the problem they go behind closed doors and try and figure out what it is that the problem is first of all and then how to fix it and well, then they talk, come you, out. You, that that last bit that you could you could overlay that, and we could have multiple podcasts on why initiatives don't work. That's a really really good point. You know why well, that, don't that, yeah, why exactly. don't why don't digital transformation initiatives work? That same thing. You can just repeat that same sentence. And I think that again underlines that it's about a problem. But the 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 innovation I think in re, in in a reimagined workplace. Say you take digital transformation as well. Is see if we can get folks to identify the problem. Because like you say, it affects the people who work there. There's a problem in how things get organized. I think if you ask people, they go, yeah, I think that's a problem too. So start with getting them on board going, yeah, it is, it is a problem. It does get in the way of my workflow. Or it does get in the way of my um, relationships. or It does get in the way of my productivity. I would like to be able to do better and more. Mm. I think you're absolutely right. Mm. But that first piece of get the people involved from the very get-go so that they go, yeah, that that's a that is a, a big deal here. I think we need to tackle this because it's something that, that we, we we can we can say, argue, whatever. That it is basically the difference between motivation and demotivation. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, I so mean, you- if somebody comes up to me saying, "I notice there's a solu- there's a problem." We figured out a solution. Here it is. Now you have to work like this. They go like, "Well, hang on. <laughs> Wait a minute." Yeah, and then and then come and talk to me about lack of engagement at work. Yeah, exactly. Or that the problem isn't being solved. That like 
yeah. you know, we implemented this like uh, a week ago and you're not doing it. And you go like, hang on, I've got my, I got my problems. This is not really solving any problems. It's only creating more problems because it takes away from my daily routine, the, mm. the, the way that I have to deal with stuff at work. Uh, now you come up with, you know, you add something to the problem. You're not taking anything away. You're adding something because you're adding more and more and more. Uh, stuff that I have to think about, stuff that I have to do, and I'm busy enough. Yeah. Right? And um, it doesn't really work that way. So it's demotivating. And, um, well, yeah, you can go around in a circle all, all day, right, about that. Well, exactly. So things designed, things designed around people but not ostensibly for them but not really for them because it doesn't take into account their experience and their interface with things mm. it's like that picture you've seen of a pathway that's you know drawn perpendicular and then you see the the actual people have used a cut across <laughs> yeah the elephant that, path or whatever that one they've sort of just walked because that's the way they want to go that's what if if the if the architects or the designers had thought now how are people how will people naturally get from A to B? Well, they'll take this way. Why don't we just design a path that goes this way? But no, we have to design something that's perpendicular. Yes. So, you know, people won't use it just because you design it. They won't use it. No, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like water, I guess. It'll, it'll find a way. It'll find a way. And it won't always go exactly the way that you want it to go. But isn't the issue at work, though? Things get designed, processes get designed, workspaces, environments get designed. And they're imposed on people. It's different if I'm out walking and I want to walk on a pavement or not walk on a pavement if I want to cut across. But at work, when I'm given this directive, you must do this. Uh, and you must do it this way. And you must do it sitting at this place, sitting and, in this position. And we'll check it and we'll control it. And we'll it. check and make sure you're sitting we'll in the right chair. we'll police it. We'll police you. Yeah. Thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. Thank you for your cooperation. That's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, we're working on the road. Thank you for your patience. Dude, seriously, I don't have any. But I don't have any choice either. So I have to sit here. But I'm not patient about it. I, I'm just, just wondering, as, as, as we're speaking now, it's, uh, it, there's a slight relation to the previous discussion we had on the dark side. But it's like, what, what would you like? There, there are architects who go and I don't know what they call themselves industrial architects or organizational architects who are now kind of monitoring where people interact, where they bump into each other. Because we're saying it's a good idea for people to, to bump into each other and you know, you, you, you have more creativity and you collaborate if people have the opportunity to collide. So people are looking at how offices get used and how space gets used and they're designing them now. Probably a little bit like your friend at Microsoft. They've got spaces which have been designed that at certain points of the day encourage those sorts of human collisions where people bump up against each other and they start to share ideas and start to cooperate. So there's something to be said for those spaces to be, I guess, engineered a little bit better so that we've got the opportunity. But it's that thing of, you know, a uh, design uh, lecturer I, I once heard say, you know, um, Ezio Mancini suggested that any innovation can be hijacked by the dark side. And so an architect can use or managers can liaise with architects to design shared spaces or breakout spaces so that people have more opportunity to bump into each other. But similarly, maybe there's a dark side where people are also engineered into sitting and being in certain ways 
that is counterproductive to engagement and satisfaction. It, it, it's just occurred to me as you're speaking about that. It totally depends what the science is behind it, right? Assuming yeah. there is any science. Well, yeah. I mean, for example, um, and this is a bit off topic, I guess, but nonetheless, it's kind of illustrative. I've heard a story years back about um, some minister in the Netherlands who wanted to have more uh, or better uh, prison reform or mm. uh, rehabilitation, mm. better prisoner rehabilitation. So what they did was that he, with a couple of uh, subjects of him, how do you call them, uh, employees, uh, government employees, figured out this, this program where uh, precision would have to go through and blah, 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 blah. Okay, now, well, ah, brilliant plan. So it was okay and everything and implemented and stuff like that. And um, the reason why I know about it is because there was, it was asked of somebody to take a look at it. And that person was actually a behavioral scientist mm. specialized in prisoner rehabilitation. But he was only asked after everything was implemented. And after they figured out it wasn't working as well as they thought it would be. Right? So, again, the initiative is, by all means, it's it's excellent. I mean, sure. But the execution is so poor. And then at the end, they get somebody who is a scientific expert on the matter. And he declined. He said, no, I'm not going to spend my time on that. You should have called me before you did anything else, mm-hmm. not afterwards. You know, so what I'm asking is, what is the science that goes into that? Because if you have an architect mm-hmm. that is specialized in drawing something, um, or designing a building or an office space, and he does some research or whatever, into or she, into how these, you know, I mean, how many, how much research goes into it? Is there like, is there a week's worth of research that somebody yeah. sits in a corner with, you know, just with a notepad, you know, writing down where he sees the most people? Or is this a study of two, three years over various corporations in various industries in various countries determining what kind of process is behind all that? Or is it just somebody says, well, I have a great idea. This is the mm. answer. Then sells that plan to the highest bidder, makes a lot of money, builds an office, and doesn't work. Well, I think, I think some of it, so for me, some of it's intuitive. It just intuitively makes sense. If you have a space that you've designed that is in some way going to channel people into bumping into each other, and that's conducive to them having comfortable conversations, that those things will un, un, unfold. I have read some things I couldn't pinpoint it now that that sort of show that if you design those spaces, that that's the way that people will begin to use them. There's the 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 architect I think or the artist who designed some park benches in Brussels I think it was. Sure. That they were they were quite unique the way he he curved them and framed them and his his goal it's in a public park I'm sure it's Brussels that encouraged people to face each other rather than sit side by side. His goal to be encouraging more social interaction in public spaces. There, there is that, that quote, I'm not sure it's, if it's genuinely you know, 
from Churchill, but it's, you know, we design our spaces and our spaces design us. And I think there is a reflexive relationship between us and the spaces that we inhabit. So you think about the research done on what colors hospital rooms should be painted to encourage more healing and how, you know, counselors and psychotherapists will lay out their their rooms and what's in, in the entrance way. And I think there's a fair amount of work that's gone. I'm not sure how scientific it is. But some of it is about the human experience. Mm. And there are certain buildings that I just like going into. And there are certain buildings I just don't. Mm. And I couldn't scientifically tell you why, but I tell you I'd be more inclined to visit Museum A than Museum B, mm. purely because of what the building yeah. creates. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mind your microphone a little bit. Um, so it's the... Here's, here, here, I mean, that's a good reflection on the conversation. Sit here. Sit like this. Put your I, light, I, am, I, am, I am directing. You shut up and I am let directing. me be me. <laughs> I direct no because it's you know it's not it's that's that's not good. You know this, John. Don't I argue. I just thought it was a good illustration. I saw a problem, I thought of a solution, and I offered the solution, and I expect you to implement it. That's the one. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the one. Exactly. Okay. So back on topic. Well, back on topic. I think so. It's, it's, still, it's yeah. So it's it's about you know whether somebody gets it or doesn't get it, basically. Yeah, and I guess the question for me was I was I was trying to say earlier is at what point do you involve people? And I I'm saying you involve them at the beginning when there's a problem that's identified in an office because there's a workflow that's a bit clunky. Involve them at the beginning because if you've seen it and you're a manager. Well, they've felt it. They've they've identified it on some level, I think. And I've worked with folks who were working, you know, factory production lines. They know where the problems are. They're actually down there. They didn't need their production manager to come and say, you need to sort that out. They looked at the production manager and they went, yeah, we know. <laughs> but that's the, that's, but if you, if you say it like that, it goes like, it makes such a lot of sense. Yeah. Or is it just me that thinks that doesn't, it makes a lot of sense? Because I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it does. It does. I mean, how can you, as a manager, first of all, uh, pretend you know everything or you know a solution for everything? Well, right. you know, if we if we had the chance, if if he was a real person and we had the chance to interview Stupid Harvey, I think if we asked that question in the privacy of a conversation that wasn't going to be overheard by with a hidden microphone, yeah you know, they would go, I don't know all the answers, actually. And sometimes it freaks me out that I'm expected to or that I feel somehow that I have to behave in a way that yeah. shows I know all the answers. I think mm -hmm. most people would go, I, I actually don't. But the systems that we work in are screwy that, and that allow us to do things and that also compel us to do things that probably in our quiet moments when we go home, we scratch our heads and going, oh, no, I don't believe I spoke to that person like that today or I don't believe I wrote that memo today what what sort of human have i become well i i certainly hope that that uh it does happen uh i doubt in many cases that that actually happens uh but let's give give him the benefit of the doubt in this particular yeah. case yeah uh, what i also think is that um people are asked what's yeah. wrong because uh, a problem doesn't become a problem overnight mm. right there are issues and this is like standard IT uh, 
you know, IT problem solution, the problem solving one-on-one. First you have an issue, then you have a problem, right? Uh, many issues make a problem. You can't just jump from nothing to a problem. There's always sure. something that has to be noticed or something upfront that happens which causes the problem. So there's always cause and effect. So there's always an issue and many issues become a problem. And then you want to solve the problem. But I know that people are asked uh, because on an individual level, why is it that you can't do this or this or that? Why mm. is it that your numbers are so high as they are? And the first thing an employee will tell you is why, mm. right? It's They don't come up with some crazy thing or an extensive elaborate explanation or an excuse or whatever. They'll just tell you, well, because we don't have enough people to deal with the, the amount of work that we have. Mm. That's the problem. Mm. But management can sell that. Yeah. They can't go to their manager and tell them, well, we need two more FTEs. Then we can guarantee that we're going to stay on top, that we're going to, you know, that everything is going to be under control and blah, blah, blah. Or, for instance, you make sure that sales or, you know, whatever, fabrication mm. or whatever, creates less problems that would also help us but you can't say that mm. so the actual uh, solutions to you know in this particular case that problem uh, it, it's not going to work they're not going to happen it's not going to happen because you're not going to get what it is that you need to actually solve the problem which is more people to deal with all the work or a better product, <laughs> or better, yeah, or better product, or better processes. That's right. Yeah, uh, you know how how much of the stuff, the times we've discussed, the stuff that goes on that's just sort of nonsense process or procedure, and it comes back to the beginning of this conversation of the the objective or the 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 purpose of doing something. That if if you if you agree that there's a reason that we're doing something, or there's a purpose that we're trying to meet, that's a much better starting point than. I'm a manager and I'm just going to give you lots of things to do. Most of it's going to be crap, moving papers from the left-hand side of your desk to the right-hand side of your desk. You know, where's the, where's the real purpose? And then, of course, mentioned the bureaucracy conversations that we've had many times. The layers of bureaucracy that, that just, when you, if you examined it closely, you'd go, this, this is completely pointless nonsense. So, you know, it's all, it's all kind of all connected up it's the um, uh, it, I think it kind of comes down to um, managers being able to report that they're doing something mm. you know that they're, they're doing something about the problem but they're not solving the problem not really that's, that's anyway. right that's right Right. And and maybe, you know, maybe if they come up with some process which actually does help with lowering whatever number it is that you want to bring down. Odds are that you you clash that with. And again, we come back to uh, motivation of employees, mm. which in the long run might 
uh, cause other problems. I wrote a blog post once, there's no such thing as a quick fix. There's no such thing as a quick win. Mm. If anybody mm. within a corporate environment tells you, well, we've got this and this, this is a quick win. There's no such thing. Mm. It, in my opinion, it can happen. It always goes against something. There's always a price to be paid mm. for um, uh, uh, having a quick win. Because then you have to make a compromise. And if you have to make compromises, then something else has got to give at well, that, some that, point. Well, that makes sense. Like, that's kind of the, 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 one of the rules, not the rules of the game, but the, the indicators that you've won. You've won when you've got lots of quick wins. The more wins, the more wins you have, it's like playing Monopoly. The more, the more you have, the better. So the more wins you have, the better. The more quick wins you can get, the better, because you can get lots of quick wins. If you backtrack that, it makes sense then that the shortcut to getting quick wins is just tell people what to do mm -hmm. and hope against hope that they'll do it. Mm -hmm. So tell people where to sit and how to sit and how to work and hope that they'll comply. That's the problem, I think, that we're kind of seeing these days in the modern workplace of people going, looking up from their desk going, hang on a second, why am I doing this? Am I just doing this to comply? You know, people are questioning, which is great. Mm -hmm. it, you know, Anne-Marie McEwen talked about people having control of their working lives and their learning and their lives. That's that's it. People going, actually, hang on, I want a bit of control in this too. I want to say. And that's where you get the clash, isn't it? And you can see why motivation and engagement drops because people are just being expected to do what they're told. And again, the simple innovation is how about we involve people because everybody wants to achieve something. Everybody wants to kind of create the outcome everybody wants to achieve the purpose it's why they're there it's yeah. why they're sitting at that desk they're not but I mean, it's it's time consuming you don't get the quick wins it's easier it's, and it's, quick. Sh it's short on politics short on politics i mean it's it's the it's the the main reason why a four-year tenure at uh or whatever you want to call it uh for a politician is something that might not be a very smart idea because everybody wants to push everything in that right. that that short time frame, mm -hmm. and the reason why the taxes go up every time and where why major cuts need to be made is because somebody tries something to push in four years time that actually should be taking like I don't know eight, ten, twenty, mm -hmm. but there's no politician ever, or hardly ever, that takes the time to set out a path that actually takes twenty years, and even if he does. He's going to be gone in four years' time. Somebody else comes in, says, well, that's a stupid plan because it's going to take another 16 years. We can do that in two. You know, so we're just going to throw a lot more money at it, but we'll get there. You know, and, yeah. So what well, your question before about you know, how scientific are these studies that they show if you design it this way, this will happen. And I think part of it is experimental. You know, there's, there is a spirit of experimentation that I feel is beginning to happen where Which people, okay. given, given a bit of space, it's like, look, we've, we've reached this problem before. We've tried a multiple of things. They haven't worked. How about we experiment with some things we've never tried? And I think when you get humans coming together to collaborate and create, that's exciting for me. So maybe there's some experiment, experimentation that needs to occur. Like you say, with politics, the outcome is I need to get reelected. So I'm not going to do anything that's risky or experimental because... I might not get reelected. But what say there were some experiments in our world where people said, now, we've tried schooling in this sort of way and we see what we get. How about we have some a few experiments going on where we try different forms of schooling 
and different content and different approaches and different environments and see what we get. But that's a 20 year long experiment. Who in the world of politics who holds the purse strings is gonna be up for that? I remember somebody years and years ago at a conference I was attending, an educator, um, and I think they were, they were a prominent member of the Maori community saying, you know, we speak to the Minister of Education and we say, uh, we want to do this, we want to try this way of, of educating our young ones, give us 20 years and then come back and ask us how we went. Of course, they get laughed out of the office. Of and, you know, in, in New Zealand, parliaments are three years long, which I always thought was craziness because you get elected, you've got three years to do something, but you're so risk averse about trying anything that might really revolutionize how life could be or how the world could be operating or how the country could be working. But, you know, you're in your job five minutes and then you've got to worry about re-election because you've only got three years. But you're not there for yourself. Well, you're that's there right. to work on, uh, on, on achieving something as a nation or in, in, our, in, 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 in the scope of the podcast in the, the, in, for a corporation. Absolutely. That's what you're looking for. You're not there for yourself. You're, you're there as part of a, a collective and you want to do something well. I mean, if you're working on a plan, then if, if within a government something needs to be changed, schooling, whatever, please do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so schooling needs to be changed. Okay, fine. So you set out a plan. I mean, in three years, you can come up with a pretty darn good plan. I mean, seriously. And, but something may be decided at some point there, this is the problem, this needs a solution, right? Whomever at that point is Ministry of um, Education gets that specific job. Then he works on that, she works on that, whatever. Then either she gets reelected and she can continue the work or somebody else gets elected, takes over the work. The responsibility for that person is to literally take over the work, continue the work that's been set out before, not to go and change it again, you know, not to come up with a different plan because that's, that's what they're doing in the Netherlands. Every four years, somebody comes up with some plan to do something and in the end, you got nothing, right? Well, You're only no creating confusion. Plan. And you're spending shitloads of money. And I mean, I bet I've said this before because it's something that bucks the crap out of me. When I started to become politically aware um, 25 years ago or something, they were saying, politicians, uh, the Netherlands needs to be a knowledge-driven country. We need to educate our kids to be the best of the best of the best of the best. 20 years later, I hear some politicians say exactly the same words. Exactly the same words. And like, and, I, and then I, I dropped out of school, so I, <laughs> I didn't get that wonderful education. But I was like, so what have you done for the past, what is it, five terms? So over five terms of four years, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. nothing and you're like okay so whatever so and but, you call me and you call me a dreamer <laughs> <laughs> no okay be, so but on the government people. scale it's it's very difficult to achieve something like that i mean politics is a high stake game uh you know they're there for themselves mostly uh blah 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 yada 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 but in a corporate environment you have much smaller 
community, right? So you can act much quicker. You can turn the ship around on a dime if you want to, if, you, if you're yeah. open to do that. There is uh, a, there is, and there you is can identify the problems much easier. There, there is a world of difference, though, between the, 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 the visionary business leaders and the ones that are interested in quick wins, shareholder return, increase in profit, you know, getting your cost down. There is a world of difference. You'll know that. There's a, di- mm. there's a world of difference between the Steve Jobs and the Elon Musks of the world who have a vision of something they're trying to create and know it's not going to happen tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, who knows how long that dream was in Steve Jobs' head. But, you know, look, what, look at the thing that he's created. He's, he's integrated beauty with usefulness and, uh, and, and allowed us all to listen to our music in a number of devices and listen to podcasts in a number of devices. That wasn't just about making lots of money. So that's the difference. It's like the people that are running the show that are in powers, you know, positions of power, decision-making power. How big is their vision, I guess, is the question. Is it about something that they may not live to see, but they're setting something in motion, they're setting a movement in motion, or is it something that they just want to take credit for? Because that's pretty sad and small, really. Well, it's, that's the, the, the short game, the short-term uh, uh, visions that, if, if, if you can call it a vision at all, I mean, I think a vision per definition is something that is something worthwhile, has a longer, yeah. uh, uh, a longer view, is, has a, 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 a broad input, if you will. Um, I don't think that many people have any vision. They lack vision. Mm. And I'm, I'm you know, kind of putting it out there, but um, we're kind of told, we kind of learn not to have a vision, right? I mean, uh, the only vision that we're supposed to be having is a television. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that and we wa- will and we tell watch us things. Problem. And we watch things called programs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> programs. <laughs> One of the great inventions somewhere <laughs> in the eighties was was uh, linear programming, right? Yeah. So they instead of just uh, trying to figure out where to put all the programs, they started linear programming. So on Tuesday you had this, on Wednesday you had this. You and so it was every day it was the same thing. So everybody knew exactly what to expect on that mm. specific day. No surprises. Mm. And but it's true. I mean, we get we get. Uh, conditioned by that and you know if we have a vision then it's probably something that somebody told us to think you know or somebody listened to a podcast and said well these two guys have a certain vision I like that I'm gonna have that too and that's it here's, here's a thing is that looks it feels like we're kind of coming to the end of the conversation so here's here's a, an innovation perhaps that we might not carry forward if you if you think back on the conversation we've had what would you entitle this That's a good one. If you can spell that, that's a good one. Sigh. Sigh. Uh, well, it wouldn't have to be something like um, uh, we need vision, right? I think that's, that's a bit of the conclusion that we get to right now because mm. um, without vision, you cannot lead. Without vision, you cannot properly solve problems, you know, Without you, you can only deal with symptoms. 
Well, there's a famous quote, without vision, the people perish as well. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of it. So that's our conclusion. That's the reason why people do what they do, why they try to solve problems that they don't know how to solve or they do it in a way that doesn't make much sense. It's just because it's lack of vision. It's lack of mm -hmm. getting further down the line, getting mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, thinking bigger, thinking not, bolder. Not, not life-giving. Yeah. No, it's life-draining. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that ought to do it for mm. the first episode of this year. Yeah. Uh, kind of heavy. Still, we, we really need to start lightening up. Lighting, lighting up. Lightening up? We, tell you we, what, we don't tell want you what, a lightening up. No, no. I'll tell you what. When the world lightens up, I will. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they go first. So, so, yeah, yeah. Give us something good. Okay. <laughs> Oh no! Look, I think that's. I think it's evident. You know, when I I reflect back, it's evident that there is a there is a a thread of us being hopeful about the world, and we're you know, for God's sake, we're still here reimagining. If we didn't think that there was any point in reimagining, we would stop. So I think there is um there is a there is a seriousness. I think, but it doesn't feel doesn't feel depressing to me. Although, if there's any listeners who would like to engage on that, please engage with us on Twitter or on Facebook um, or you can go to rw.cast no sorry rwcast rwcast.com to see the rest of our podcasts and subscribe all 30 of them all 30 yeah and uh, we can look forward this year to more interesting guests some of whom we have lined up already which I'm excited about and more interesting conversations yes some of them will be quite rambling like this one and some of them will be some of them will be a little bit ranty because something has really hit a nerve and something some of them will be quite um light and positive and upbeat and um they will all be interesting for me at the very least yeah that, well that's a good thing yeah. at least we can say that if we continue this and we will continue this that uh, 2016 is going to be an interesting year yeah. uh, as far as podcasts go Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. <laughs>